Gemma Hill, a rising senior at Aspen High School, and Katherine Young, a rising senior at Glenwood Springs High School, will interview Aditi Mitra, a professor of physics at New York University and a member of the a new member of the Aspen Center for Physics. Aditi obtained her Bachelor of Science in Physics at Pre Presidency College in Calcutta, India, her Master of Science in Physics at the India Institute of Technology in Kanpur, India, and her PhD in Physics at Indiana University in Bloomington, U.S. of A. After postdoctoral research at Columbia University and the U University of Toronto, she joined NYU New York in September of 2006. Her special interests are strongly correlated systems, quantum phase transitions, nanoscale physics, dissipative and non-equilibrium phenomena, all of which are very big words that we will talk about on a mm, more um, English level as we go along, <laughs> not so much at a high physics level. We'll begin with Katherine Young. Hello. Was there a really defined moment where you knew that you wanted to go into physics or took special interest in your current research with non-equilibrium and topological systems? Right. So, uh, well, thank you for having me here today. It's really a pleasure to be on this program. Um, yeah, so I would say that um, when I was really young, uh, early teens, I knew I wanted to be a scientist and a physicist. Uh, but then uh, the current choice, of course, came along many, many <laughs> years later, you know, because you need to have the right kind of background to be able to further develop your interest in a particular field, you know. So I think uh, I knew I wanted to do non-equilibrium systems probably much later, um, something like around 2000 or 2002. Uh, but I chose uh, the broad area of study, which is condensed matter physics, um, much before that, I would say something like uh, towards the end of my master's. Um, but as far as choosing the general direction of wanting to be a physicist, that came very early, yes. All right, and just to start off with some humanity rather than physics, is this your first time at the center and how oh. do you like it? Oh, no, no, I've been here many times. I mean, uh, this is, uh, I think I have been coming here um, regularly since uh, 2000 and for 2004. Um, no, I just love coming here, and indeed it's uh, it's a real honor for me to be a member now. Um, before that, I was just a reg just a civilian, like they say. Uh, yes, um, I love to, I love to come here. It's a very relaxed environment, and you can talk to people. Yes. And what in particular are you researching while you're here? Right. So right now, um, uh, I have been. Uh, uh, interested in what are known as uh, uh, topological insulators. And in particular, I've been interested in the area of topological insulators when the system is far out of equilibrium. So, um, and so that's the, broadly what I've been um, working on here. Um, it's a, carrying some pet projects along with me, so that I'm trying to finish some of them off by, while I'm here. 
Um, for those of us who don't have knowledge in such areas, would you mind defining non-equilibrium and topological systems? And okay, insulators? so non-equilibrium is one thing and topological systems another thing. Non-equilibrium is pretty much everything around you, you know, because, I mean, if I throw a ball in the air, that's an example of non-equilibrium phenomena. This book, which is sitting stationary, is an example of equilibrium phenomena, right? Um, so it's uh, it's settled down in some steady state and it's pretty stable if I push it a little bit, it's not likely to move. So that's the big example of an equilibrium phenomena. But non-equilibrium is almost everything else, right? I mean, um, if I now throw the throw this uh, book to the other end, it's going to be in a non-equilibrium state. And ultimately, because of dissipation, uh, its interaction with its environment, it can give up its energy and then settle down again into a new equilibrium state. So non-equilibrium is actually something which you encounter all the time around you. Topological is a little bit more exotic, and I can explain that too, but I just want to make sure that you understand what non-equilibrium is. Mm -hmm. yes. Okay, great. So, I mean, it's a really important topic because almost everything is out of equilibrium, but it's a tremendously difficult topic to understand. And it's all the more difficult when quantum mechanics begins to play a role, right? So throwing this bo uh, book around, I can still tell you what the trajectory is going to be because this is not a quantum object. This is a really a classical object. All I need is Newton's laws, which you already know very well, right? But but what we are really interested in in, in our research is are objects that don't obey Newton's laws, um, but obey quantum mechanics. And then you know, then the then how to model such systems? It's not uh, easy, and also it's exciting because you can get it kind of exotic phases that you don't get when a system is stationary or in thermal equilibrium. So it's a combination of non-equilibrium and quantum mechanics, which is what I'm uh, excited about. Very cool. So I understand that you deal a little bit with nanoscale physics. Mm -hmm. And can you go into a little bit about what you research in that and what tools you use to help you? Right. So, you know, I mean, it's because of nanoscale physics that, uh, again, this non-equilibrium and quantum begin to become very important. So imagine you have a wire carrying current, like a copper wire, right? I mean, we, we all know of it. And uh, that's an example of... Uh, non-equilibrium system, and it's a quantum system, actually. You know, in the metal, we cannot understand it without using the laws of quantum mechanics. It's just, it's just that's how it is. But what is, uh, uh, but it's not still so difficult to understand, because what happens is that the electrons that are carrying current through a wire are still not really interacting very strongly with each other. So if I can solve the uh, trajectory or the properties of just one particle in the copper wire, I can extrapolate that result and tell you how all the particles in that copper wire are behaving. But the thing starts becoming more complicated when I start making the copper wire smaller and smaller, because then you're pushing these particles in a very small region, and then they are really strongly interacting with each other. So this is the nanoscale. And the fact that we are making devices smaller and smaller every day, we are being pushed into a regime where there are currents flowing, but they're flowing through a very small region of space, so that not only are these out of equilibrium because they're carrying currents, but these particles are also strongly interacting with each other. So this is really where non-equilibrium quantum mechanics and strong interactions begin to play a role. And right. they have uh, applications because otherwise, you know, uh, the fact that you are trying to make all your devices smaller and smaller, um, you really need to understand this regime in a quantitative way. So what is most interesting to you about quantum phase transitions? Right, so the most interesting thing is, of course, that um, um, you can have a, a so, you know, again, so if I just have a f many particle systems, but they're weakly interacting, 
like I said, this very simple example of a copper wire, large copper wire carrying current, we know we understand it. But when they st uh, start interacting strongly, then they can get into some kind of phase, collective phase, which is, I mean, I'll give you the simplest example, like a ferromagnet, right? We all know what a ferromagnet is. We even know what a superconductor is. But you cannot get these phases without having the particles strongly interacting with each other and having quantum mechanics at the back of it. So how these phases come about and how they're lost, either because you have changed, the, changed some parameter in the problem, is a very exciting topic. And what's also very exciting nowadays is that I said ferromagnetism and I said um, uh, uh, well, uh, superconductors. Right. But you can have phases where it's kind of difficult to tell, tell what is it that is being lost as, you, as the phase goes away. You know, it could be something more exotic in the language, like it could be something having to do with the very non-local property of the wave function of the many particle system known as entanglement. So you could be going from one phase to another, where one phase does, if you look at it locally, it doesn't, this doesn't seem to be anything particularly special about it, but some very non-local property of that system, like quantum entanglement, is non-trivial in one phase and it's trivial in the other phase. So how, how do I even define an order parameter under such circumstances? It's not your regular ferromagnet, it's not your regular superconductor, yet it's something important to understand. Um, and so defining an order parameter under such circumstances and how you lose that order is one of the exciting topics right now. And, Space very cool, very cool. Earlier you mentioned um, something about machines and electronics and how those are getting smaller. Will you elaborate on the application of your research into that in the real world? Oh yeah, of course. I mean, so, um, uh, so one thing of course is that, uh, you know, you want to, um, uh, right, I mean, so real world is like your cell phone, right? You want to make your cell phone smaller and smaller, but you also want it to be make want to make it really very very fast. So uh, if you uh, in the older cell phones, if you just touched them, you would know that they're getting really hot, right? All these currents are being forced into a smaller portion, and they're heating. So you want to be able to devise um, devise materials where you understand them well enough that you can reduce that heating effect. Uh, so that you can get the same kind of efficiency, but all squeezed into a smaller, um, smaller, smaller piece of right. material. So right. that would be an application. But there, but there are other like long-term applications. For example, um, uh, you know, in in quantum computing, for example. So uh, you want to be able to uh, store information in a way that it is uh, you don't lose it easily. So you want to, uh, so just uh, right now the crude way to store information is, for example, if you have a magnet, the up up and down states of a magnet are the zero and one of some bit, and then you put all your information in various, various bits, right? But, you know, I mean, it's a bulky object and you want to use some other, uh, some other source, uh, uh, some other qubit, if you like, which uh, uh, can retain its coherence for a longer period of time. So this is where the topological states of matter begin to play an important role, uh, because uh, topological states have the property that, um, that at the boundary of the states, you have these uh, edge modes, which can be used as qubits. You know, uh, whether that edge mode is occupied or empty, you can think of it as a zero and one state. And they are very difficult to decohere because of some um, 
because of this uh, notion of uh, topology, which I can explain a little bit more about uh, in, a, in a couple of minutes. But <laughs> yes. So on that track, would you mind explaining a little bit more about your work with current-induced discoherence in the multi-channel? Oh, okay. Uh, but I, can I tell you about the topological stuff first? Of because course. Because I've used yes. this word so many times. Okay, right. <laughs> <I'd> <laughs> I don't want it. to. Okay. So, and that's also a major theme of this conference, right? So, uh, like I said, you know, I mean, uh, we are all working on complex quantum systems, and uh, they're very... Um, uh, so you're talking about many particle systems, they're interacting strongly and there's quantum mechanics. And even if you know what the equations are, it's very difficult to really calculate them, right? You can't do it by hand. And even on a computer, you can't really realistically model a large system. But sometimes, you know, when the elegant mathematics can come and he help you. And this is where this topic of topology really has been a big aid for physicists. So topology is a branch of mathematics which tries to, um, you know, classify objects on the basis of their shape. Okay. Oh, so, cool. so for example, um, a sphere is not the same as a donut. I think you've heard this example before, uh, because I cannot smoothly deform a sphere into a donut. I have to really puncture a hole in it. Okay. So, all objects which can be kind of smoothly deformed into each other can be put into one category, and you know, details as to whether they're small corrugations on the surface of the object don't really matter. Okay. Now, how is that useful? Well, it turns out, and that's, I think, the hard part, and that's why it took so long, that uh, you can have, a, if you have a many-particle system and it's described by a wave function, uh, you can actually ascribe some geometric or topological properties to that wave function. And so then, if I can assign a geometric or topological property to a wave function, then it tells me that if I have a many-particle state with this topological property and a many-particle state with another topological property, if I put them together, then at the boundary, I cannot go from one topological state to another in a smooth way, right? That's right. what the mathematicians mm -hmm. told us. And the only way to go from one state to another is something dramatic has to happen. And what happens is that extra states, edge states, appear at the boundary. So if I take one topological material and put it next to another one at the boundary of these edge states. And you can think of these edge states. Now you can use these edge states to your advantage. You can use them as qubits and you know, memory devices and things like that. So that's one of the things that we are all working on in this conference. And what's even more exciting is that you know, details are not that important because, you know, that's the that's the way this whole topological field is constructed. It's a very, um, if I make, if I add a little bit of impurities and things like that, it doesn't modify. Right, the, the minutia can be neglected. Exactly, the minutia can be neglected. And so, uh, and then you can all, and then being in thermal equilibrium also is sometimes not important. So you can have a highly out of equilibrium system, but if you can, identify some geometric property of that out of equilibrium system, you can say a lot about what would be happening to it at its boundary. And then you can put it put it to use, you know, either to make it, use it as a qubit, as a, so, as, a as something to store information in and things like that. So that is uh, one of the things that, uh, that is why the word topology is coming up so much, because uh, even though it's a, it's, it's a, problem which cannot be solved exactly, these many particle systems strongly interacting in quantum mechanics. But if you can uh, use the language of topology or geometry, you can still say many things about its uh, global structure and uh, low energy excitation. And so right. Yeah. So what conclusions do you draw about your research when you're studying the topological systems and such? What conclusions I draw? Well, what I can, t I can give you an example. So. 
um, so so let's say I have a one-dimensional wire again. So it's my favorite example, one-dimensional wire. Okay. <laughs> now it's it, this wire is uh, something which is. Uh, which on the surface of it might look like it's a very boring object. But it turns out that there are some wires which have some non-trivial topology, so that when I uh, cut the wire, which means that I have a non-trivial wire uh, in contact with a trivial wire, then at the boundary you have an edge mode. And what's really strange about this edge mode is that the electrons that are in the wire have actually fractionalized, and half of it is on one end of the wire and the half, other half of it is at the other end of the wire. And then it turns out that if you take that wire and you drive it in some way, like you, uh, suppose you take the, take the chemical potential and you kind of drive it at a particular frequency, then you can actually generate new topological phases where you have additional uh, fractionalized states, uh, which are now oscillating at a frequency which is um, uh, very, very precise, and um, a half, maybe, of the frequency at which you are driving the chemical potential. So you can get uh, new kinds of excitations when you, uh, when you have uh, topology and, uh, and driving at the same time. So. Did that answer your question? I don't know. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think I got lots. Oh, okay, okay. okay. So let me go back. Which part should I repeat? Let's. So the, it's the phase, the phases that arise between two topological systems. Yes. Can you explain a little bit more about those phases? Right. So let's say, so the mathematicians have told us that if I take uh, one topological state and I take another one, if I put them together, I cannot go from one to the other smoothly. And, the f and physically what happens is that at the boundary, you have these extra uh, edge states that appear b between the two. Okay. Edge states. Yes, because they're called edge states because they're sitting right at the boundary between one topological phase and okay. the other, other yeah. topological yeah. phase. Yes, and uh, and um, uh, I mean, uh, you, maybe you've heard of the quantum Hall effect, which was discovered way back in 1984. That was the first example of a topological state of matter because, you know, and and uh, so it's a system where you have two-dimensional electrons. Uh, so electrons which are confined to a two-dimensional plane, you put a perpendicular magnetic field, it is some material with a non-trivial topological uh, um, property. And when you put a boundary, what you're doing is that you're separating a no system with non-trivial topology with trivial topology. So at the boundary, you're forced to have these edge modes. And it's these edge modes which uh, give you a very precise uh, um, resistance for these for the for these materials and uh, it's so precisely precise the, the resistance of these systems that it's used as a standard of resistance uh, uh, now um, okay so i mean so 1984 was the first example of a topological state but then at that time it seemed like a red herring but from 2006 we know that it's all around you <laughs> <laughs> right. so to kind of go back to general questions what is your favorite part of your research? Um, the favorite part of, the, of my research is, um, I mean, I think I like the fact that it's challenging. And yeah. I like the fact that it's almost like a detective work. You're <laughs> thinking about it all the time, thinking about it all the time, and you're stuck, and it's frustrating. And then, aha, OK, then you figure out some way around it. So uh, it's an all-consuming all -consuming job that I love doing. So. <laughs> 
There you you go. have to be a little bit obsessive, otherwise it's not for you. <laughs> um, has there been anything recently to spark your interest and maybe move you away from your current research or anything in the future that you plan to do? You know, I think that it's like the whole field of outer equilibrium systems is so broad that, um, you know, like they say, uh, if I give you a system, then being in equilibrium is just one possible state of that. And everything else is out of equilibrium. So it's a very broad topic. So I don't see that we'll ever exhaust the possibility of, you know, all the possible, you know, studying out of equilibrium uh, systems. But yes, the, there are many new topics that come and go. And uh, I mean, so let me see what would I see myself doing. I mean, I, I'm still very fascinated by all this, uh, topo all the topological aspects of it. But people are coming up with new ways of uh, uh, defining topology. There's, you know, you can have, uh, if I have a, a, a topological system, there are impurities you can put in it, right? Like every system has impurities. But there's some impurities which are like, they don't do anything, you know, they're mm -hmm. like, uh, they don't matter. But there are actually, not, you can think of impurities which are themselves topological. So if they're there, uh, you know, you can move them around in all kinds of ways and still uh, uh, they preserve the underlying um, global properties of of the system. So trying to understand these kind of topological effects in, in materials is an, is an interesting direction, I would say, yes. And do those additions have any negative or distinctly positive connotations to the system as a whole? Um, positive or negative? Um, no, I mean, uh, th they're just another way to understand uh, understand uh, the properties uh, of the system. And, you know, adding a defect means that it's not a ground state property anymore, right? You are, right. again, going into some excited state. And it's not a boring excited state. It is something which has um, uh, which has uh, still uh, some coherence associated with it. So um, uh, so it's interesting in a, in a good way. <laughs> it's not just increasing the temperature and giving, getting some random defects or, right. uh, around in the, in, the, in the system, yes. Have you had any of those, though, like things that come from an experiment and you look at and you think, well, that's not at all what I thought was going to happen? Yeah, I mean, yes, uh, that is uh, that is kind of interesting. Well, uh, so there are actually two things. One is that you do uh, some theory and then you hope that they, that it'll attract the attention of some experimentalist. And then the other way also is true that the experimentalists do something and you get some results and... Uh, it's uh, and it's difficult to explain. Uh, so I tend to be in the f first category, which is that I I'm more into uh, coming up with uh, developing a formalism and coming up with some theoretical predictions, and I hope that maybe uh, and provide some guidance to an experimentalist that this is the measurement you need to do in order to be able to see this. Uh, and um, the other way around, uh, I haven't really you know, spend too much time trying to understand experimental data, which is not always a good thing, but yes, uh, it's not Fair. been my forte. <laughs> <laughs> How often do you make slight adjustments to your theories? Oh, a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, almost always what happens is that you start out being very ambitious <laughs> and then you fail. <laughs> <laughs> then you make, then you be a little less ambitious. Then you find, oh my, this is 
too less ambitious. Now you've lost, you know, you've thrown the ba baby with the bathwater. <laughs> so you go back again and you add in all the little bit of complications that you sh should be, that should be there. And so it's a back and forth process, you know. Awesome. Um, would you mind talking about your work with the infinite you Anderson model? Right, yes. So, um, uh, so this is uh, what is uh, um, uh, this is this is a uh, this falls in a category of known as impurity uh, impurity models, and this is actually related to this nanoscale physics that I was talking right. about. So, again, imagine the copper wire, but now you've like really squeezed it into a tiny, tiny, tiny space, and the interactions are so large that you know again. So you can treat zero interactions. It turns out you can also treat infinite interactions. <laughs> it's just the middle part, which is a little bit difficult to do. So this is actually looking at the infinite interaction part, where the interactions are so large that you can have only one electron at a time uh, in that little uh, island uh, of um, copper wire that you have created. And so uh, we were trying to uh, understand what the current voltage characteristics of this uh, uh, setup would be, and if there's anything universal, and uh, how the I, IV characteristics would look, and what uh, we should tell an experimentalist to look for, things like that. Fair. And how do you work with your colleagues for this research? Yeah, so you know, that's one of the things about physics, that it is really a team effort. Um, so I would say that um, um, uh, when I started working on our non-equilibrium systems, which was way back in 2002 or something like that, uh, non-equilibrium quantum systems had not caught on as much as it has caught on today. So it was more difficult then because I felt like I was working too much in isolation. But now it's very exciting because there's so many young people who have gone into this field because, you know, people have realized that, okay, there's only, we've kind of more or less answered all the questions about ground state properties and the few questions that are un unanswered are like too difficult. Like nobody understands high TC superconductors, right? I mean, so those are like well, a few topics out there, questions out there that uh, are still open. But the field of non-equilibrium has lots of applications, lots of things going on. So there have been a lot of young people that have come in. And so it's been very, very exciting. I would say when I first started working on it, it was more isolating because this topic had not caught on that much. Wow, Aditi, I loved the end of that with talking about the fact that a lot of young people are coming into the field. That's great. Um, so thank you, Aditi Mitra. Professor of Physics at NYU, Catherine Young from Glenwood Springs High School, and Gemma Hill from Aspen High School. Tune in to Radio Physics the fourth Tuesday of every month at 4.30 to hear more about what is happening at the Aspen Center for Physics. Thank you.